0: Point of the salvation story in Scripture. Who is the beginning point of the salvation story in Scripture? God. Oh, good Abraham. answer, Abraham. Yeah, Abraham, good job. Thank you. And so Abraham is the first time that God has, has chosen out a person, chosen out what will become a group of people in order to be um, the salvation for the world. Now, here is the next question. What happened right before Abraham? What was the turning point that got God tur- thinking about, I, it's time for me to help my people. My creation. Adults, seminarians. The flood? Like, no? A flood is before it, but not right before it. Uh, Right before the story of Abraham is what? I hear pages turning. I hear pages turning. Babel, Babel, the tower of Babel is right before the story of Abraham, that it is in the people's decision to try to become gods like themselves. And in the process, they start to to separate scripture gives us an indication that that God caused this to happen, that it was in us trying to become godlike that God realized that the gods realized that, that we couldn't we couldn't be allowed to do this. Now, I would actually argue that that is theological interpretation on the Scripture writer's part. Because in our ability to become like God, we have naturally separated ourselves as, we, as we've gone. I'll get to that later. Thank you. Thank you. You can sit down um, and make sure that, that you keep me in line with the Spirit. Because I do not want to offend it today. There you go. Um, I do not want to offend him today. So I, I need you listening. I, this is, you're going to pay more attention to this sermon than any other before, right? Okay. Um, so so I, I do all this because, because uh, when we get to Pentecost, we have to keep the whole salvation narrative in mind. Because what happens on the day of Pentecost started all the way back with Babel. So let me recap it. Let me give an. Let me let me replay our salvation narrative in a snippet real quick. God chose a, a man and a woman named Abram and Sarai to leave their land and go to a new one that He will show them. Out of Abram and Sarai, we become we name them Abraham and Sarah. Out of Abraham and Sarah comes a nation. Eventually, 12 sons. That would be 12 tribes that, that would become the light to all nations. And those tribes saw, saw persecution and slavery in Egypt. But God's salvation narrative continued to be woven through them. They were saved from Egypt. They were liberated from Egypt. They were brought back to their land after 40 years of a little bit of whining and complaining. They come back to their land. They start to build a society built as God is their king, but they eventually go astray again. They want their own king, and from these kings, they start to fracture again, starting with Solomon, starting and breaking it down to where they split kingdoms, and eventually they are conquered again. But around these times of being conquering, the prophets are crying out that the salvation narrative is still being woven by God. There's still something bigger than just the nation of Israel going on here. And we start to get these prophecies. Prophecies of a Messiah to come. Somebody who will be able to to bring peace to the earth. Israel still often looks at this Messiah as their Messiah. But inside those prophecies, if you look, if you look in the right places, this is a universal Messiah. This will be a a place of prayer for all nations. All nations will find God through the work of this Messiah. We Christians now know that the Messiah came. In the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, God, the very word of God dwelt among us, became flesh. And that Messiah showed God's love so much that He took His message, He took His love and decided to take all of our sins, all of our violence, all of our hatred, all of our evil onto His shoulders and to die. And we also know that the salvation narrative is so great that it didn't end there, that He rose from the grave, that death cannot win, that evil will never be victorious. That is the salvation narrative. But that's not where it ends. In fact, that may not even be the greatest part. Because if you remember, all of this started at Babel. And on Pentecost Sunday, it comes to a culmination. At Babel, languages were confused. People were separated. Essentially, nations were created. At Pentecost... People are brought together. Languages are no longer confused, but people who have no business talking these languages are able to speak them and give the truth of God. God is now sewing back up the tear that we had put in his creation. And it is in the giving of the spirit that this truly starts to come into the world. Don't let me discount the death and resurrection of of Jesus, God Himself. That's not my point in this, but it's in the giving of the Spirit that the salvation narrative is finally starting to come to a close. Maybe this is why the, the disciples, the apostles, as we have gone through Acts, as we've looked in these stories of Acts, why whenever they were faced... With violence, when they were faced with governments, these these creations that we created when we separated in Babel, that, that we need violence to be able to keep ourselves safe from that other one that we have created. Whenever the apostles faced up against violence, they responded only with peace. Because they know something drastic has happened to the world now, with the coming of the Holy Spirit. We no longer need it. The broken is being repaired. And if you look at the word for spirit, the word for spirit means breath or wind. If you look at that, and and the the Joel prophecy that Peter uses here, you realize this actually goes even further back than that. Because God's very Spirit, God's very breath is being poured into the apostles just like God's very breath was poured into Adam. We are seeing creation brought back to its very beginning beauty with the coming of the Holy Spirit. We Baptists sometimes don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Right? But as we... Focus on it. Maybe just the one week we talk about it. it! Thank you. As we focus on Him this Sunday or Her this Sunday, the word for spirit in Hebrew is actually feminine. We can deal with Her here. However we want to deal with Him or Her, God Himself among us, we're dealing with the very breath of God with us. And here's the story, here's, the, here's the, the point of our narrative this morning. This world-changing action of the coming of the Spirit, the way that things are going back to the way they should have been the whole time, and it manifesting in this group of men and women in Jerusalem, it means we can't wait for the second coming. To start putting creation back together. To start undoing the tear we have given in God's given plan. Because the Spirit is poured into us. We are part of that process of repairing what has been broken. We are called to receive the tongues of fire. To help undo the sin of Babel. Like... The disciples. This morning, this means being able and willing to speak the languages of others, and this hits close to home for me because I don't know how many hours of Spanish I've taken, and I still only hablo un poco español. Anywhere anywhere near right, I can't really speak it that well, and that's my fault because I live in a state where I should know Spanish. I should, but I'm lazy. And white. That's a little bit of a joke, but it's also a lot of truth. I'm part of the I'm part of the class that doesn't have to learn another language. But the spirit of God dwelling in me tells me I should. We should be able to speak the language of those around us. And I don't just mean literal national languages. There are other languages in the in the culture around us. I get the opportunity and the honor to work beside men who are, are in recovery from deep and debilitating addiction. And there's a language in addiction recovery that I'm learning. I made the mistake one time of saying someone was in recovery. And they said, no, I'm still, I'm always in recovery. And learning to be able to speak it and learning to be able to understand what they've been through helps me to be able to be a shining light for them. I think of what Anna does now, and we've been in foster care, but foster care and broken homes and broken children sometimes has a language of its own and acronyms of its own. And all these things, and being able to speak these things can often help be able to bring hope to children or families that are dealing with the brokenness. We all know these languages. Anna and I can speak that because we've been in foster care. Uh, that's that's not me saying, "Hey, go out and learn the foster care language." You have languages you've been around. Some of you may understand the legal system and be able to speak the language that some people need to know and hear to be able to get themselves out of legal trouble. Or the language of business to be able to use our resources, to be able to use our economy to help others. Whatever the language is, just like on Pentecost morning to today, we must speak it to be able to help bring the good news to others. Another thing that happened um, this Pentecost morning that we... Celebrate was the giving of the Holy Spirit gave a hint, a little hint of things to come. What started in Jerusalem, we know we've been in Acts soon spread. But there's a hint here in that these these God fearing Jews from outside of Jerusalem of different languages are being spoken to also that as the spirit comes, it is no longer just about a Messiah for one people, but this is going to be a Messiah for all people. There is a universal aspect to what is happening now with the Holy Spirit. And if we look at the stories we've been studying in Acts, and if you look at the other stories that we've skipped over as we've been in Acts, you'll notice that there is a universalism, universalistic side of, of the message here. Women are elevated to where they've never been elevated before. Gentiles are now not just allowed to hear the gospel, but soon become the target of the gospel. The open receptacle is able to take the gospel. The audacity of Antioch outside of Jerusalem to decide we are going to start this international mission and to ordain Paul and Barnabas to do it. And Paul and Barnabas, stepping out of Palestine, going in to the Greco-Roman world. we see in the story of acts a universal nature to this new good news of Christ. The church, the spirit-filled church should always be asking the question Are we loving all like we should? Or are we stuck like the early, early apostles were? The apostles this morning probably still believed this Messiah was just for them. They're only speaking to Jews. Peter and Paul get in an argument later based on just just how much Judaism is going to be involved in this. Peter has to see the vision um, from God to realize that that Jews or that Gentiles are worth reaching out to. They're still learning it. And as the Spirit filled them this morning, they they haven't even begun, begun to grasp how universal, how radical this love of God was. What, Ecclesia, what if we are in the same place now? What if God is still asking us to push just a little bit further? That there are some people who need to be loved a little bit more. Hit the news this morning that a fellow Baptist church in Waco has decided to separate from the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And the reason that they did, it's UBC down the street, the the, the reason that they did is um, on LGBTQ rights. And same with Lakeshore here in town. Now here's my point. You may disagree with the interpretation of how they read the Bible. You may disagree with an open and affirming church that would say that our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters, that our bi and trans brothers and sisters are welcomed here. We can have that conversation, but at least respect this. They get the the spirit of Pentecost often better than those of us who won't take that step. They understand that God's love is so radical that it pushes boundaries what started with women and Gentiles may actually be pushing the boundaries between gay and straight today. They're listening. And maybe, maybe if we listen, if we listen to our heart, if we listen to our faith, if we listen to the wind of God blowing through us, maybe we may be hearing the same thing. When we have these conversations about gay and lesbian by and trans brothers and sisters in our church, most people are uncomfortable. They don't know how to deal with it. Because so many of us have come to know and love brothers and sisters who have come out, who are living in the LGBTQ community. And we see the way that they are beaten on buses and killed in Detroit just this last week. And we realize that this hatred can't be right. Something is missing. How do we be a better beacon of love for God? And I think one of the reasons so many of us are uncomfortable in this conversation is because I believe the Spirit may be talking to us. How? How are we to relate to the LGBTQ community? How are we to love? Maybe. Maybe the Spirit has more to say to us. Let us listen for truth. Let us push our boundaries just like the apostles' boundaries were pushed over and over again. I'm not saying we have to step over them. That's a conversation we have as a church. But let the Spirit speak and push us to a greater love than we could ever know. What happened that Pentecost morning was world-changing when Babel began to be undone. What happened that Pentecost morning was universal and radical whenever God's love was starting to be shown to more and more people than His people would have ever guessed. But the most important thing that happened that Pentecost morning was God's love came in in a way. The Spirit came in a way that empowers. Empowers us. Empowered his apostles. Right after the Holy Spirit comes here, Peter stands up to give a sermon. And we saw the beginning of it. Peter's sermon isn't exactly one that is going to make the crowd happy. He blames them, the crowd gathered there, for killing the Messiah. But Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit. As we've been weaving our way through the book of Acts... We've seen this term filled with the Holy Spirit multiple times. When Peter confronted the Sanhedrin in chapter 4, and then again in chapter 5 after being arrested and thrown in prison, both times whenever he has the audacity to blame the Sanhedrin for the death of Christ and to call them to repentance, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers him to have the strength to do this. When the church at Antioch decides they're going to to ordain these two men to go and spread the good news, they're filled with the Holy Spirit before they do it. It gives them the audacity and the strength to make that choice. When Paul confronts Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, he is filled with the Holy Spirit and calls out the hypocrisy and the false, false prophecy there. All of these times when the Holy Spirit fills somebody, they have the strength and courage to do what is needed. And that's just in the stories we studied. I did a quick word search, which my software allows. um, And 45 times in the book of Acts, we see the, the, the Holy Spirit filling somebody. And every time, every time it happens, it is an active process. There is movement of some sort. They're taking a stand. They're speaking out. They're risking their lives most of the time. The word spirit is used 61 times in much of this, So we're talking over 60 times. And it is always active to face trials. Even as Stephen faced death, as he faced stones coming at him, he was able, filled with the spirit, to preach the good news to the end. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He pours into our lives and allows us to be able to do things we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. The imagery of this story gives us an idea why. In the book of Exodus, as they are leaving the nation of Egypt... What goes before them during the day? Swirling cloud. Pillar of fire at night. And what stands between them and the Egyptians whenever they're, they're standing on the, the edge of the sea? The swirling windy pillar of fire. And after they cross the sea and after they get to Sinai and and the elders are standing at the bottom and they look up, they see fire and wind and they feel earthquakes. The very presence of God throughout scripture is so often equated with fire and wind. In this story, the very presence of God that is used that way is no longer something to fear. The elders would not go up the mountain. They told Moses to go without them. Now the wind and fire is not something to be feared, but is something that is poured into His people to give them the strength. The earth-shaking power of God resides in this church. The earth-shaking power of God resides in you. That's why His apostles, His disciples can have the strength, can have the courage to be filled with the Holy Spirit and confront evil face-to-face no matter what would come. And most of the apostles met violent ends because of it. But they still, filled with the Spirit, had the strength. There was nothing special about these apostles. Whenever they say, whenever the, the outsiders here say, aren't these men Galileans? They, they, there's a twofold part to this. One is, how do they know our language? They're Galileans, but also there's this idea: that, aren't they Galileans? Aren't they country bumpkins? I mean, what's the the? Uh, aren't they from? Oh, what's a tiny town around here? Real, uh, El-Mutt. huh? Elmod. Aren't they from Elmut? <laughs> Nothing good comes out of Elmod. These country bumpkins are all of a sudden not only speaking our language, but speaking with authority and speaking with courage. Yesterday, I had the opportunity, the honor to gather around uh, one of my best friends as he became ordained in the Disciples of Christ Christian Church. And we gathered and we worshiped and we affirmed his call into ordained ministry. And while I'm honored to have been part of Joey's ordination, there is part of me sitting there wondering what if, what if we talked about the calling of all Christians, lay and clergy, with the amount, with the way that we did it so solemnly and seriously for those who are called to the clergy. Because here's the thing I affirm the. The separate calling for a clerk for clergy, I affirm the uh, high calling it is among our lives. But it is often not the clergy that are truly spent spreading the message of God. It's those of you who can speak the language of your coworkers and your friends out there that are truly doing it. Your calling in the laity is just as, if not more, important than our calling in the clergy. We are all spirit filled. We are all filled with the wind and fire of God. These were fishermen, tax collectors, country bumpkins from Galilee. And out of these normal, ordinary, even subordinary men came the church. Because the Holy Spirit is the strength, not the people that are doing it. The Holy Spirit, God among us, is the one doing the great things, not a simple people. Trying to work for God. When we finally got to the, the the ordination part of the the service, and my friend Joey was kneeling, we ended it with a with a responsive reading where the congregation affirmed by the Spirit of God, you are worthy of the ministry of Christ. And I teared up as I I know my friend heard it. But I want you to hear this morning that that is not a promise that is just on us clergy. That's a promise because of Pentecost that is on all of us. Because of the Spirit of God, you are worthy of the ministry of Christ. Because of the Spirit of God, you are worthy of the ministry of Christ because of the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank You for the Spirit that dwells in us. Thank You for the Spirit that that, that manifests uniquely when we gather as a church like this in order to try to, to give You honor, to give You praise. May we be a people that trusts the very power that lives within us. May we be a people that realizes that the flame and fire, the wind, and the very breath of God resides within us. And that we, we can start bringing that world changing, that Babel reversing, A creation restoring life now. In Jesus' name, Amen.